as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We now head to Austin, well, technically Houston, to talk about Austin because of the big deal that's happening in Austin, the Texas legislature, with Dr. Brandon Roddinghouse, University of Houston, political science professor, among many other things. He's multi-talented, and he joins us now. The story that we're talking about is uh, there's a little bit of infighting in the Texas GOP, and that has to do with one Matt Rinaldi, putting out some radio ads in De- uh, Dade Phelan's district, uh, basically throwing him under the bus for all of these Democrats that have been picking up committee chairs, which was something that the Texas GOP avidly did not want. So I guess, uh, Professor Runninghouse, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about committees, how committees work, who gets picked where, that whole functional discussion. Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, effectively, what committees do are kind of subsidize the work of the full legislature. Like their job is to be able to kind of do some of the heavy lifting until the full body can take a weigh in on it. So they'll mark up legislation, which is still pretty raw. You know, they'll add, they'll subtract, uh, they'll hold hearings so they can get more information if they need to be able to modify things. So they're basically doing the kind of real grunt work of the legislature and those committees have specializations and each specialization is connected to some pretty narrow policy range. Um, and so people are uh, in the house are assigned to various committees. The house has different rules in the Senate where in the house that about half of the committee positions are done by seniority. So the older you are, the longer you've been there, the more you have the ability to pick the one you want, um, and then the other half are picked by the speaker. And so obviously who is the speaker matters because they're the ones who are putting you on those committees. Uh, in the Senate, it's the same, except the Senate, the lieutenant governor has full power to be able to put people on the committees that he or she wishes. And so Dade Phelan has a lot of pressure on him, <laughs> to say the least. That's an understatement. We're, we're talking about turning coal into a diamond level of pressure on uh, the level of performance up in the Texas legislature right now. And so why has the Texas GOP kind of been upset at Dade Phelan, and can they really do anything about it? Yeah, it's um, it's important because there's only so much they can do. Um, there has been, a the, in the last 15 years, a consistent effort from far-right Republicans to challenge sitting speakers. First it was... The Joe Strauss, who was seen as a moderate and seen as kind of a you know Republican that wouldn't let the Republican priorities get to the to the floor, and then you had Dennis Bonin for a term until Bonin ended up being actually filleted by some of the uh, far right Republicans who recorded him in private and exposed some of his secrets, leading to a fairly big scandal in his 
resignation. And now you've got Jade Phelan in the very same position. So it's a pretty consistent um, kind of challenge from the far right to speakers to say that, you know, the Republican priorities aren't getting met. It's probably disingenuous to say that, you know, Speaker Phelan, just like speakers before, do two things. Number one, they reflect the will of the House, and that's what good speakers do. And number two, they get things done. When there's a clear consensus within the caucus about what to do, they do it. And at this point, it seems like there are some things that the Republicans feel like feeling could do better, but it doesn't make any real difference in terms of what the membership might want. So it's an unusual kind of (laughs) argument to make from Republicans. And it's really, frankly, bizarre that you'd see the Republican Party of Texas raising money and then spending money to to challenge their sitting speaker on this issue, which, to be honest, is really modest. I mean, there are a handful of Republicans this issue, that is putting Democrats in charge of certain committees. And most people have no idea. So it's not a winning strategy. It's not going to be the kind of thing you campaign on, but it's a play to the base. And the base is really where politics is at in, in sort of modern Texas. We're talking to Professor Ridinghouse of University of Houston. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home Doctorate in Political Science, and he's multi-talented. He's an author and everything. Uh, we're, we're talking about the Texas legislature and kind of the pressure that Dade Phelan's under uh, when he's dealing out these uh, chairmanships on all these committees in the Texas legislature that's meeting right now. And we had talked, we had touched on this a little bit. Like you kind of want an expert in those seats who kind of knows what's going on. You kind of don't want the new guy who's still trying to find out where the bathroom is. Like, hey, so here's the way we're going to do it. You kind of don't want that. You're in charge of energy policy now. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's so how how tough is it? It's kind of like it's kind of like the draft. You know, like the NFL draft. Okay. Well, I need you know somebody to do this, and I need the most experienced person to do like this particular role. And I can kind of see it. I'm I'm walking the line on this one, Brandon. You can tell that uh, I, I need somebody to fit in this particular part of the. Of the uh, of this particular committee, I need some guy to head that that knows something about what's going on. So, how tough is that if you were to remove the Democrat side of the equation in the Texas ledge? Yeah, it's a it would make it tougher for sure for a couple reasons. Number one, I think is an expertise question. Like you say, some of these members have been around for a long time and understand the dynamics of that legislation. And ultimately, there are still you know, dozens of votes that are going to get taken on a piece of legislation that comes out of committee. It's not like it's going to be kind of, you know, hatched and then all of a sudden it's, you know, a full grown chicken. Like it takes time for it to develop. You've got to let that simmer. And so that's really a big part of it. Um, The other reason is that when we've seen in the past, Republicans or Democrats have not given committee chair positions to the opposition party, things fall apart. It makes the lawmaking that much harder. The opposition gets bitter and they challenge the leadership in every way they can. This happened to Bob Bullock in the 1990 session where Bullock decided as a Democrat that he wasn't going to appoint any Republican chairs. Well, the party was pretty mad. The Senate was pretty split. (laughs) And so they were expecting to get some chair positions and they didn't. And what they did was to proceed basically to slow everything down. They tagged everything they could to make it not go fast. They enforced every minor rule they could to make things more sluggish. So it just 
slow everything down. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's definitely going to be troublesome for the um, Senate because the Senate's in that position now. Dan Patrick only gave one committee chair to Democrats, to a Democrat, to John Whitmire, who's leaving the Senate to run for mayor of Houston. And basically what, uh, what uh, Patrick said was that when Whitmire is gone, we're not appointing any more Democrats to the, to the committee chair positions when I'm there. So I don't know how they'll respond, but it's in the past at least been the case that the party has been pretty mad. You brought up an interesting point earlier. We're speaking with Professor Brandon Browninghouse of University of Houston, our guest near 956 Drive Home. You brought something up that was very interesting. The Texas GOP raised money to put out these attack ads on Dade Phelan in his own district, urging him or urging voters to tell him, hey, listen, we don't want any Democrat chairs. But what I think was interesting was during the the Texas GOP side of, I forgot it was like a, I forgot what the vote was, but it was like all the, the Republicans got together. Okay, who are we going to put up as Speaker yeah. of the House? And it was like six no votes out of around yeah. 80 or something like that. It was incredible. But yet they put all of this effort into uh, kind of putting the thumb on Dade Phelan. But he, but Dade Phelan survives this, right? Like, there's nothing really that can that can happen. There, there's real, there's no teeth to putting out an attack ad like this, right? That's right. No, there's really not. Um, you know, the only thing that the body can do if they were unhappy with Phelan would be to make a motion to vacate the chair, which is a fancy way of saying that that there's a kind of leadership crisis and they want to take a vote on removing Thielen as speaker. That's an unusual step. The only time this happens is when the Speaker of the House has really made a lot of people mad, like Tom Craddock when he was speaker made a lot of people mad. And so that definitely led to his ouster as speaker. But this is not the kind of thing that usually does that and certainly not one of one episode. Um, it's weird because, yeah, you know, you have people like uh, Dustin Burroughs, who's one of the kind of, you know, leadership group for the speaker tweeting out that he found out that the Republicans were collecting money and encouraging people to, you know, get in touch with Phelan through an email notification from the party asking him for money. So it's just a weird event. But like I said, I mean, you know, exactly how they're doing it is sort of strange. But the fact that it's happening isn't that strange. Like we've seen this process unfold over the span of several decades. The far right in the Republican Party is unhappy generally with the you know leadership in the establishment, whether they're you know very conservative or not is a different question, but that's been something that they're consistently fighting about. You know, I've been to the Texas Republican Convention three times, twice as a as a as a delegate, once as an alternate. And it's it's like fun, right, to go out and, you know, say these things and cheer and be Johnny Johnny rah rah with the with the pom poms and and cheering your guys on and stuff, but th- th- when it comes to this functional stuff that happens when it involves the entire state and it's not just one party anymore, that's when it kind of gets complicated. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Professor Roddinghouse, what are you looking forward to during this legislative session? Um, I'm interested in how the budget shapes up. Um, the House and Senate this last week introduced budgets that spend most of the money, although not all the money, which is interesting. That's going to be a question like, were they going to really not spend all of it? Because there are a lot of needs the state has, and there are a lot of members who want to see that their projects fund. So that's one big question. Um, The state's budget makers have allocated about $15 billion for property tax relief. They said and promised that it would be the biggest 
in history, that's not the biggest in history. And at least in terms of the kind of actual impact for people, uh, it may be pretty modest. Um, not that we should sniff it, you know, 300, 400 bucks a year, but in terms of the actual money that like people are paying property taxes, that's pretty small. So I'm curious to see how that goes if they pump that money up. And then as a kind of connection to that, whether or not there's any kind of appraisal reform, that's been the real issue for homeowners is not so much just the tax rate, but rather the appraisal of their homes, which has been going up and up in most places. So I'm curious to see kind of how all these things shake out. We've got, like I said, the kind of first cut at this where lawmakers have etched out a budget, but they have to actually kind of figure out if that's going to be workable for them politically in the next few months. Well, I, that's going to be my list now, too. You've uh, <laughs> you've encapsulated basically what I have my eye on, too. I want to know what we're going to do with the money. Because uh, it's one of those things where it sounds like an easy job until, you know, it, there's... It, I don't want to say I don't, I don't have a lot of faith. It, I have hope. You know what I mean? I have hope. I just don't know if they're going to follow through with what we... What our laundry list of things, our wish list has to offer. Thanks a lot, Professor Brodinghouse. Appreciate it. That's Professor Brandon Roddinghouse of uh, University of Houston, political science professor, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We say K-Onda and hello to our friend Patrick Svitek, who we need to catch up with. Uh, from the Texas Tribune, as the Texas Ledge started a few weeks ago, and I, I want to hear Patrick's perspective of everything since since the beginning. Pat, How, what kind of a ride has it been so far? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, the legislature, uh, you know, began meeting first week of January, Hello. and the big uh, topic so far has Did been we- uh, record budget surplus, which stands at thirty two point seven billion dollars, and so we're hearing a lot from state leaders and lawmakers about how they want to uh, spend that surplus and uh, one of their top priorities is property tax relief. And so we're starting to see some plans emerge on that, on that front. That's the biggest discussion of the, of the session. You think the, what we're going to do with all that money, you know, right now from the outset of the session, it looks like that's going to be uh, one of the big discussions, but you know, I will say, uh, you know, sessions can be unpredictable and the issues that are consuming debate at the beginning of a session aren't always the same issues that um, are causing, you know, drama and, and further debate uh, by the end of the session. And so I'm not going to guarantee that'll be the headline issue uh, <laughs> two months from now, maybe even two weeks from now. But right now, that's the huge topic of conversation in Austin is how to spend that surplus, whether it's on property tax relief, um, you know, improving infrastructure, uh, giving teachers pay raises. Uh, that's the, the big discussion right now in Austin. Yeah, now that you bring it up, with the laundry list, the wish list of what 
uh, representatives want to do with that money. Is it a lot of money, or do you think it's going to go by very quickly? Yeah, that's the great irony here. It's probably going to go by uh, very quickly, and the state is constitutionally constrained um, in terms of how much of it it can spend. I mean, the state cannot just go ahead and uh, spend all $32.7 billion. And, and, you know, in addition to that uh, constraint, you know, we've also heard, um, you know, the lieutenant governor emphasize, for example, that you don't spend all the money that's available to you. And so um, even on top of this kind of state spending cap that we have, I think there's going to be a push to save some of that money um, just because of the ongoing needs that Texas has has such a booming state um, and rapidly growing state. Um, try to save some of that money uh, for use later on. Our guest on 710KURV is Patrick Svitek from the Texas Tribune. Davis Rankin, your question. Well, it's a process kind of question. They are forbidden, I guess, by the Constitution of Texas from doing any kind of business for a period of time at the beginning of a session, and the governor, governor has to designate his his priorities, right? And those get considered first. Tell, tell us about how this works. Sure. So there is um, a rule against uh, passing legislation off the floor um, in either chamber um, before, I believe it's before 60 days into a session. You may have to double check me on that. Um, but to get around that, the governor can deem certain things as emergency items, which basically okay. allows the chambers to bypass that rule and pass legislation off the floor, um, you know, prior to that, that date. And so Mm -hmm. we are waiting to see what the governor's emergency items are going to be this session. Um, He's going to give his state of the state address on February 16th. And that's when he uh, traditionally unveils those emergency items. Um, So that's how the the process works uh, that you brought up. Well, so Patrick, what are they, if they can't pass anything, can they have can they have hearings? Can if they have a bill they've submitted or are about to submit, can they go around and try to gather support for it? What do they do? They can't sit around and smoke cigarettes or whatever they do for till February. <laughs> hear what the governor wants. Well, yes, uh, there's a lot of um, organization going on, uh, and committee hearings can be held once committees are named. Um, you know, we saw the Senate name its uh, committees just a, a couple of days ago. And so you're starting to see um, committee hearings get scheduled now that the committee chairs and members are picked out. Um, so that's something they can do. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, doing things, um, you know, as a full body on the floor, there's not much to be done. I mean, they've only been meeting on the floor for two or three days a week. Um, and they're only really just kind of uh, passing, you know, resolutions, honoring people, that kind of thing. Um, so it is pretty slow at the beginning here, um, but no doubt there's there's there are things happening behind the scenes, whether it's those committees kind of getting formed and coming up with their uh, hearing schedules, or whether it's you know uh, the lobbyists and the advocates meeting with lawmakers trying to um, you know feel out uh, you know whether they're going to be supporting their causes this session. So. Um, you know, the starting gun has, has definitely uh, gone off and there's there's plenty going on, but it, it's pretty usual and, and not, it's pretty uh, typical that in these opening weeks, the kind of action that happens in front of the camera is pretty limited. All right. I Our guess you're not invited is, along to the um, 
to the happy hour uh, sessions with lobbyists to find out what's on people's minds, right? So you're, you'd be a party crash. Yeah. <laughs> Not often. <laughs> Our guest is Patrick Zvitek from the Texas Tribune. We're finding out what's, at the, what's happening at the Texas Ledge. Uh, this session so far. He's our guest in your 956 drive home. Another thing, too, that I kind of wanted to get another perspective on was the Texas GOP and their current relationship with Dade Phelan, the Texas House Speaker, and just kind of the heat, I guess, some of the pressure they're trying to put on Dade Phelan over those committee positions. Uh, what was that about, and why did they take out like money against Dade Phelan over all this? Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable situation. So the Republican Party of Texas, one of its legislative priorities that was, you know, voted on by the delegation, uh, by the delegates to the convention, uh, is to ban Democratic committee chairs in the House. And so um, the state party has been an advocate for this um, under Chairman Matt Rinaldi, uh, you know, partly, you know, of course, due to that being a legislative priority that delegates voted on. Um, but you've really seen them kick it up a notch uh, in recent uh, days uh, after this push to ban Democratic committee chairs died in the House um, on the second day of the session, um, you know, Rinaldi has continued to speak out about it, and the party announced that it was going to be airing a, a radio ad in Dade Phelan's uh, Southeast Texas district, um, you know, criticizing him for, you know, allowing this practice to continue and trying to build pressure on him to stop this practice. Now, he hasn't, you know, even though they defeated the push to change the rules to ban Democratic committee chairs, he has, you know, not un uh, released his list of uh, committee chairs quite yet. And so he's yeah. still in the process of putting it together. And I think they, you know, they're obviously trying to um, influence that process. And, and, you know, again, even if they can't get the rule changed, they're hoping that maybe he'll appoint fewer Democratic committee chairs or maybe shuffle them so that they, they are, you know, kind of on the less prominent committees. Um, so we're all just waiting to see that, that committee list, which, you know, in the house, uh, typically, you know, doesn't come until, um, you know, at least a few weeks into the session. So I, I would look for that in February, maybe. This is your nine, five, six drive home. I'm Zach Cantu along with Davis Rankin, who has a question for Patrick's VTech of the Texas Tribune. Go ahead. Well, the Lieutenant governor's already released his committee assignments, uh, and the, um, the, the thing that was revelatory to me was there's only one Democrat uh, chairman, and that's John Whitmire of Houston, who's running for governor for a uh, mayor of Houston. But Whitmire's been there a long time, and he's, I mean, he's got criminal jurisprudence again. Our Juan Chuy Hinojosa has got some some good jobs, but only one Democratic chairman. I, I don't know whether his lieutenant governor been talking like the. The, the conservative, the uh, Republicans who don't want any chairman in the House. Um, he, he, by the way, um, Lieutenant Governor talked about how nicely they all get along in the in the lieutenant in the Senate, which I thought was like if you don't get along, you're going to get if you don't play nicely with the Lieutenant Governor, you're going to get <laughs> sent to uh, Siberia. So yeah, we love our Lieutenant Governor. So. Yeah, it was a little a little ominous. Um, but he, you know, he's rightfully noted that he was kind of ahead of the curve on this when he took office as lieutenant governor in 2015. Um, I think that there were previously six committees uh, chaired by Democrats, um, and he cut that down to just one or two when he took office. So, I mean, I think that was a 
you know, you're really stretching my memory here, but I'm, I, I think that that was a campaign promise of his was that he would cut down on the number of Democratic uh, committee chairs in the Senate. Um, so, you know, this has never really been a controversy inside his chamber among Republicans because, um, you know, he's already taken the steps um, that I think activists want to reduce Democratic influence in the Senate. Um, and so, yeah, he's down to one Democratic committee chair, as you pointed out. Uh, his name is John Whitmire. He's a Democrat from Houston. He's, um, you know, kind of a policy expert on the criminal justice system. He's the dean of the Senate, the longest serving member. Um, and as you also pointed out, he happens to be running for mayor of Houston in November. He's a pretty strong candidate in there, in, in that election. Uh, we'll see what happens. But if he were to leave the Senate, um, you know, it's uh, safe to say, based on the Dan Patrick's recent remarks, that he, he will be replaced um, by a Republican as the chair of the Criminal Justice Committee. And the Senate will then have no uh, zero uh, mm. committees chaired by Democrats. Hey, speaking about uh, the triumphant lieutenant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Dan Patrick, uh, he's running for re-election, and my initial gut reaction to this was, okay, who asked? Because we're kind of far and away from 2026. <laughs> but, but Davis brought up a very uh, important thing about being a lame duck in, in, in this current in yeah. this current time. So, what, what's the the decision making behind that? Yeah, I know it's 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 sometimes it's easy you hear uh it's hard to care when you hear about someone saying something they're going to do in politics uh you know 3 over 3 years from now uh but I'll tell you why this is notable and, and it's kind of a headline to us at the Tribune. Number 1, the lieutenant governor had previously said that this would be his last term. So, it's a it's a reversal of statements he's made in the past saying that if he, you know, won re-election this past November it'd be his last term. So that was notable to us. Um you know, number two, uh, notable to us because we really do have this kind of log jam um, of Texas Republicans in state, you know, waiting for a statewide office to open. And I think that some have looked to 2026 as the year that that could happen uh, because, you know, they heard the lieutenant governor say previously he wouldn't run again. So that office would be open. Um, you know, people are also wondering if, you know, Governor Abbott wants to, to run again in 2026. And so you've got a lot of folks you know, already thinking about um, running for higher office in, in 2026. I mean, there are a number of, you know, Republican senators, um, you know, in Dan Patrick's Senate who would probably run for lieutenant governor in 2026 if it were an open uh, office. And so that, that's why that statement from him uh, last night was, was so notable to us. And, you know, what, what you pointed out about being a lame duck um, is also uh, a really important point. Um, you know, any elected official, <laughs> you know, always has more power um, and more influence if, you know, people and the lawmakers they work with believe that they're going to be there for a long time. Um, you know, if, you know, if uh, the person you're working with, you know, has already said that I'm leaving at the end of this period, um, then they lose some power and some influence. And so, you know, it was always a little curious to me that he had said so far in advance that he wouldn't run again because, like you know, like you just said, makes him a lame duck and less influential. And so that's all why we we thought that was a meaningful statement by him last night. Hey Patrick, thanks for catching us up with with everything up there in Austin. Appreciate it. Thank Patrick Vitek from the Texas Tribune joining us on seven ten K URV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the nine five six Drive Home on News Talk seven ten K U R V and K U R V dot com. 
News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshot victims. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Hey, uh, when we started doing a lot more remote work, it, it changed or it, it changed the discussion and the landscape of a lot of different industries. And a lot more, uh, I don't know if you would call them philosophical discussions, came up over. Hey, commute time. If I leave my house, I'm technically already going to work, right? I'm technically already working because I have the intent to be working now. If I stop, uh, if I get rid of that commute time, there was a report. It comes out to about like two hours worth of, of commute time going home, coming, uh, going to work. Well, what do they do with that free time now that we've been remote working for a few years now? Joining us on 710KURV, Michael Cups from active ops he's a remote work expert he joins us now on your 956 drive home so what what did the it was it it was a survey or a report and they asked all these people that were working remotely who no longer have to worry about commute times going to work and what are the how much time did they end up saving and what do they end up doing with the time yeah so the the report in the in the the study said that they, they were saving about two hours uh, of commute time, and that was the average. So some people may have had less, some may have had more. And then that time was going to, uh, what, what they claim in the survey was that it's going to work. And in the, the data that we see, because we have some, some data on how people improve productivity post-pandemic, is showing about a 12% productivity increase. So, it, so it, there, is a, there is a direct impact into the productivity and them working longer hours or at least different hours and getting the work done faster. Do you have any details about what the average workday is for somebody that works remotely in that way? Uh, a little bit. So, so the average workday in a well, you could there there are things that argue about this, but normally it's about six point three hours if you're going into the office and you're working after you take breaks and your lunch break and things like that. Uh, from home, we're seeing about seven point five uh, or or a little more actually because some people continue to work. Uh, into the late night as, as well. So it is certainly more when they're working from home. Now, some people might argue that that's not as productive work because they don't have access to their, you know, their neighbors or to ask questions. So that may take longer. It may be more on email versus, you know, collaboration. But uh, the numbers really are there that the productivity has gone up with remote work. And, you know, some companies just are still trying to figure that out. Joining us on 710KURV is Michael Cups from Active Ops. They deal with all sorts of remote work and, and software for those sorts of things, and they have a lot of data on this particular topic. He's our guest on your 956 drive home. Davis Rankin, your question. Why is it people are, I mean, if, if you assume that people are, um, and this is a big assumption, people are unhappy, maybe don't, you know, they're, they're, um, would prefer to be independently wealthy, but darn it, they're not. Uh, so why, why are they, why are they using that extra time to work? Is it a fit of conscience or dedication or what? 
I think it's a, I think it's a, a little bit of that, but I think it's also that when they're 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 not near their boss, so they want to show that they're to their bosses that they are working, so their output looks higher. The second thing is they just have more time. So if you think about that commute time that we started the conversation with, not only is it your drive time, but even when you get to the office, there's a lot of ancillary things that happen. You you walk to the coffee machine, you get your coffee, you go back to the desk, and maybe you're interrupted twice by somebody in HR and somebody from finance. And so there's a lot of that that space that was used up with just other types of communication and collaboration and, and things like that. When you're at your home, you know, for me, when I'm at home, it, the only other person in the house with me is my dog because my wife is off to other, her job. So they're just, there's just more time. There's just more minutes that I can, I can sit down and get something done. And it's, it's usually quieter and there's less interruptions. And if you turn off things like, you know, email and text and things like that, you can, you can really focus on the work. There's always been a kind of a discussion. At least I know this came to light more when we started doing more remote work because of the Rona, where, I mean, you got 24 hours in a day. You're supposed to spend eight of those asleep, right, to stay healthy. You spend yeah. eight of those working. And that other eight hours is supposed to be like, what, maintenance time, a little bit of family time, getting everything else done so you can get ready to work those eight hours the next day. And, you know, technically when you leave the house getting ready for work and you're on the road, technically you're not even on your own time anymore because you have to be there on time. <laughs> and a right. lot of, some people have argued, especially in recent days, I mean, that, that should be paid, right? Especially since I'm spending gas to get over to work for you people. I, so, I mean, uh, yeah. what, what uh, in that realm of discussion, what, what are some of the things that yeah. you've heard and, and what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, what I think, uh, I think it's an interesting argument. There's not much leeway with the big companies, at least in the bigger companies, to, to even entertain that discussion. I mean, you could you could also argue that, you know, the tolls that you pay to get to your office or the uh, the parking that you pay or the, you know, the train ticket, bus ticket, whatever, may need, whatever you may need to do that commute should be part of the benefits package. And companies historically haven't done that, and, and, they're, and they're resisting it in a big way. Now, if the, if the labor market gets more competitive um, and, and you're trying to get talent, then those things may inch into the conversation where a company to get the right people in the, in the job, if they think they have to be in the office, will start stepping up for that. But we haven't seen any indication that companies have an appetite for that today. Speaking of speaking of that remote work, what has the tug of war been so far in bringing people back into the office? You know, it's interesting because you would think the younger uh, generations would not want to be in the office, but we're actually seeing data that they do want to be in the office. They're they're more social and they want to learn more from their peers because mm -hmm. they're kind of starting their careers. It's the it's the people that've been in the the companies for you know maybe a decade or decades that want to want to work from home. Uh, and you could argue that the that, that the way that you hire is, you know, the lower cost generations, because they just haven't had that seniority, uh, are the ones that are really flexible and want to come in. And the, the ones that know, have all the experience don't want to come in. So there's this the, where the balance is not so much trying to negotiate who's coming in and not, but it's really how do you capture that that knowledge that, that has to be transferred to those millennials and Gen Z that that's the biggest challenge for companies, I think, is that knowledge management transfer. And it's it's a challenge, and that's why they're, they're kind of clinging to their pearls and saying, everybody back to the office. But that's really not the answer, but that's that's the only answer a lot of those managers have right now. We're talking about the tug-of-war of remote work versus going back into the office with Michael Cups of Active Ops. They, they kind of they know a lot about this stuff. They do software, and they help manage these sorts of things. He's our guest in your 956 drive home. So do you see 
you, you do see a lot more people coming into the office, and do you think that that's going to be the side that, um, in the world of, in the new landscape of the hybrid model, you know, a few days a week, you know, at home, or a few days a week over in the office, who do you think is winning out right now? I think you just you just nailed it. I think most companies are fi- trying to figure out what hybrid means and to normalize what hybrid means, which is that flex schedule. So whether it's two days in the office and three at home or three in the office and two at home, we're seeing different patterns like that. And, and you know, with the technology we have today, it really doesn't matter where they work because you can, you can see what they're working on and how much work they've done. But it's really coming down to can you train your managers to accept that difference and just know how teach them new management skills on how to do that. But but it looks like the flex is is winning out. Uh, some some companies are saying get back in the office. Some are saying all 100% remote. I was at an insurance company today that said everybody's remote, and so you're seeing different patterns. But but what we think will will shake out is there's some sport form of hybrid or flex work. And the reason is it's different types of work, right? When you're at home, we already talked about you have more hours. You can do that kind of deep work where you're thinking more and you're doing more of that stuff. When you're in the office, it's about collaboration and thinking about new ideas and, and team building and things like that. So so if they do it right, they can figure out the right balance of what type of work happens in which location. Yeah, I, I admit there are some jobs that you absolutely have to physically be there to get it done. And in the case yeah. of some office work it's funny because some sub businesses will say you have to be in the office because i want that face to face i want that one on one i want to make sure that my employees are there everybody's there but you you want to know what's funny the strange irony of it all nobody important is ever in their office when you need them they're usually at a meeting or they're at a at a lunch date or something like that they're always out of office isn't isn't that the strangest irony that's what i that's what i've noticed when i was working in an office Oh, absolutely. It, it is. And then, and then there's always that do not disturb. Even on email now, you can put a do not disturb on your on your calendar. And so what's the point if you're in an office next to me and neither of us can talk to each other because we're, we're heads down and other things? And what's the point of being in the office and doing that two-hour commute and that drive, et cetera? Yeah, I remember when I would work in an office that uh, if you didn't get in, uh, if you didn't get in contact with those key people before like ten thirty, you weren't going to see them for the rest of the day. So, yeah, th- there needs to be a little bit more discussion over this whole remote work thing and maybe some flexibility thrown in there. Thanks a lot for your time, Michael. Appreciate it. Michael Cups from Active Ops joining us on News Talk seven ten K U R V. You're listening to an encore presentation of the nine five six Drive Home on News Talk seven ten K U R V and K U R V dot com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We'll let you know enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Science, technology, engineering, and math. Our powers combine that creates STEM, and part of that is robotics first RGV, or yeah, first RGV. Joining us on 710 KURV, one of the robotics coaches in the Rio Grande Valley, part of the Mac High Robotics team is Robert Saldana. He joins us here today. One of my personal friends. Happy to have you on. One of the biggest brains I know, by the way. 
Uh, Robert, for those of you who don't know, uh, as far as I, as long as I can remember, was always fixing things, always putting things together, and was quite the engineer himself. And he's passing that along to some to to many talented kids in McCown. So let's start with First RGV. Robert, welcome to the show. What is First RGV? Well, um, First RGV is pretty much uh, an organization of the collective teams in the South Texas region. We really don't refer to us as first RGV anymore. Now we just kind of call ourselves first in Texas. And this is the South section of that. So, but you know, of course a lot of, and you know, what's from the past. I mean, you know how long I've been doing this. Uh, a lot of us still remember that phrase that first RGV logo. And I'm really glad that you remember uh, all the stuff that we've done in the past under that brand, but um, we're doing awesome. We're doing excellent. And I can't wait to see what's going on uh, February 25th. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. But first, let's set the stage. What are these What are these kids All currently right. doing under the the program, and, and what is it? Okay, so um, I manage or I coach um, a, a robotic or multiple robotics teams, uh, three at Mac High, and there's. Right now, there's 40 teams that are going to be competing, and they're all building robots. They're all working together using whatever knowledge they have and whatever tools they have and whatever materials they have, and uh, they're making a mess, and they're having fun doing it. On top of that, they're also doing outreach to multiple organizations. They're, co- they're uh, connecting with businesses. They're connecting with engineers of uh, business engineers as well as colleges, recruiters, they're like getting deep into into the STEM world. That way they're prepared for, you know, what's after high school. We're talking about STEM education in the Rio Grande Valley with robotics. And Robert Saldana is one of the coaches of robotics at McAllen High School, our guest on your 956 drive home. What are the what are the, the kids learning? What is the, the process behind uh, the robotics program here? How does everything work? Um, so every year we get uh, a brand new game. Uh, they release a brand new game in September, and there's it, it a series of tasks that their robot needs to perform. And um, they basically have to build all the mechanisms, whether it's a drivetrain mechanism or a lift mechanism, a gripper or a flywheel. It really depends every year. Um, and then from there, um, of course, after they build it, they have to code it. So there's a coding aspect of it, and there's actually a certain section of the game, it's a 30-second autonomous period, where they actually have to code the robot to do multiple tasks autonomously, and, you know, they have a blast doing it. This and, of course, after that, neat. they have a teleop period where they can actually um, drive the robot for two minutes, you know, in manual mode, and then, of course, continuing to... Uh, process all the tasks and that way they can uh tally up all the points and hopefully of course win the match these are remote controlled robots and they're programmed and are they built from scratch or is there a kit that goes with it a little bit of both um there is kits available from multiple companies um but you can also build them from scratch uh th- there are proprietary motors and um i guess the wi-fi connections and all that stuff that they need to use but other than that like the wheels like the, the actual frame um all of those other the gears they can use whatever they want joining us on 710 KURV, one of the robotics coaches at mccallan high school we're talking about uh first in the rgv and everything that comes along with that is stem education 
Davis Rankin, you have a question for Mr. Saldana? Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll sound contentious, but it's not. Okay, it's great learning how to do robots and uh, blow stuff up and destroy the other. What does this teach you? <laughs> what does this teach wait, you? Wait, wait, wait. What did he even say? What did he no, say no, no, anything no, no, about no, blowing stuff up? I just threw that in there because... Go ahead. Because go ahead, that's coming. Because some student wants to do that. Uh, but w this, I'm assuming, other than the novelty of being able to build a robot that does stuff, what's this a gateway to? It's preparatory for something or not? Okay. So, actually, it's, it's preparatory for multiple things. Um, one thing that I always say to anybody that I'm trying to recruit into robotics is, this is not only for people who want to be an engineer. This is for not, this is not only coders. This is, this is people who want to learn how to work in a team. And that's the, one of the big skills that we're starting to see here in the 21st century. It's one of the biggest skills that we really need because you know what, after you graduate college, you're going to have to work with different types of people with different skill sets. They're not just eight engineers working on one task. There's one engineer doing one thing. Then you have a project management person doing something else. And then you have the social media aspect of it. They're handling all of the, the outreach and all of the, you know, all, all that aspect of it. So th there really is like so many different areas and I, I guess jobs in, in, in one team that it, anybody can come into a robotics team and be important and, and hone in on those skills that really kind of get neglected. Um, but I mean, bottom line is like teamwork is huge and we really, really push that in robotics. And not only that, there's also our, what we call competition where we're kind of also like working together um, as mm, what do you call a community. So all, all the other teams, even though they're kind of going against each other, they're actually working together for a common cause. They're, they're pushing the knowledge of, you know, STEM and robotics out there. Because honestly, a lot of people don't know what we do. A lot of people, when they think about robotics, they think BattleBots. That's the first thing that pops in people's minds. And we're trying to break that, that stigma. We're trying to say, you know what, it's more than just that. I mean, these kids are really pushing themselves they're putting themselves out there. They're, they're doing something they're not comfortable with because it's a skill that they've never done before. And they're, they're actually doing awesome. Like the, the teams that I have seen across the South Texas region, they're doing amazing things, not just building robots. They're adopting parks. They're meeting with other, other people across the world and seeing what they're doing. And it's, it's just so amazing when I see all of the smiles on their faces when they've actually achieved some of their goals that they wanted to achieve, you know, back in August. And I've seen some of this firsthand at some of the events that I've attended, and we've brought KURV along the way uh, to, to showcase some of this stuff. I've seen at, at, some of the, at some of the events where something will absolutely go wrong and you kind of have to, you know, paper clips and duct tape it together in a moment's notice to make sure that it works for, for the championship. Uh, our guest is Robert Saldana. He is with First in the RGV. We're talking about STEM education and robotics. And you guys have a, a, a championship coming up. What, what is that about and who's involved? All right. So um, recently we just finished off the last tournament. Um, and that was, that was in Laredo. So as of right now, there's 40 teams left in South Texas. And that's from Harlingen to Laredo, I believe. And of those 40 teams, they're basically competing for a 
spot at state. So I believe there's 11 teams advancing from this turn this uh, regional event to state. So they're going to come in on February 25th, and McCown High School will be hosting, and this is open to the public uh, from about nine o'clock to about six o'clock. And you know, yeah, you're right, Zach. It's super hilarious when you see these robots come in and they look awesome, and then all of a sudden you see a, me- a mechanism fall off or the gripper mechanism fall off or a wheel just flies off and then of course they have anywhere between five to 15 minutes to get that robot in order to get ready for the next match yeah and it it, just the the macgyver element if i'm going to date myself to it all is just fascinating to me that these kids are able to you know big brain 200 iq this in a, in a very short amount of time and able to come up with a solution. Davey, we don't have a whole lot of time, but really quickly, you, your question. Go ahead. Uh, you think the, your students are destined for um, engineering degrees or, or a- academic work, or they're going to lurch off into other, other similar things, but that don't require for your degree? So I'm going to go based off of my alumni. So I've been doing this for seven years, and I have alumni all over the place. Yeah, definitely I have some that went into engineering. I have some that are in cybersecurity. I have some that went into a diesel mechanic and they graduated from South Texas with their diesel, uh, um, uh, diesel mechanic degree and they're already working and they're making some good money. I have uh, two that are in the army. I have some at, at Texas A&M. I mean, really they're all over the place and they're not only in STEM. Some are in nursing, some are in IT, some are in information management. Um, they, they, uh, I believe one is doing foreign language. Like it's, okay. it's really interesting to see the, the spectrum of all of the alumni and what they're doing right now. But uh, the one common thing that I'm I'm seeing from all of my kids that have graduated and have you know word robotics is they're doing something. They're taking on a challenge and they're committed to basically, you know, being a part of society, being a part of what we're supposed to be doing as adults. Robert, I'm happy I'm happy we were able to get this opportunity to catch up. We hope to have you on again real, real soon to talk more about this and hype up what's happening on the 25th. That's Robert Saldana, robotics coach at McAllen High School, part of First in the RGV, joining us on Newstalk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.